0: The Pride Dairy Podcast. It's been a little bit of a break, but as you can see, we set the studio up. We're just going to get right into it because I don't like podcasts that spend like 10 minutes advertising stuff before yeah, we get into exactly. the subject. So, um, we are going to talk today about this very mystical, incredible, legendary financial product that everybody talks about in the wealth planning space. Everybody talks about it in asset protection, which is private placement life insurance, which, or as some people call it, PPLI. Um, And we deal with this a little bit, a fair bit. Uh, We work with brokers and set these kind of structures up with private placements. So we want to do a quick podcast and just run through a like, first of all, we'll do a 30,000 foot view of what it is, what the basic concepts are. Sounds good. And then we'll dig into some of the more specific differentiating factors on why this is such an elite product for some people and talk about why it has to be the right product in order to work. So um to begin with, there's a lot of different life insurance, types of life insurance products, but so there's something called a variable contract, which allows Correct. you to, originally life insurance was just insurance on your life. You pay premiums, you get a death benefit when you die. Very basic. Then they introduced something called variable life insurance, which allows you to have this kind of money box associated with your policy so that you could also have an investment happening while you're paying the premiums. Correct.
1: Correct. In the first, so, in the old, in the old, old school, right kind of contract, it was the insurance company that managed the assets and, and had to cover an obligation at death. So just and the
0: companies did it. Yep, yeah,
1: the yeah. companies did it. Variable has a whole different aspect to it.
0: So what? What we? What's? Wh- let's talk about the absolute cream of the crop, best product possible, and what the possibilities are for it. So from my understanding, and I don't know near as, as much about this as you do, but it's a variable whole life insurance contract with a high cash value so that the spread is very low. So it's,
1: it's not variable whole life. Whole life is completely different. Very okay. variable.
0: This is why we're doing this. So <laughs> it's a-,
1: it's it's a And I know, when would take whole life, half life, quarter life? I don't know. But it's a variable life. <laughs> What's yeah. your life? Part of it's whole, part of it's half anyway
0: toddler life toddler life <laughs> okay so so it's not we do you, forget the variable part then we just call it a whole life insurance
1: so like, whole life insurance is just life insurance it's just guar the you know whether you have guarantees or you don't have guarantees it's a company that promises to pay Kevin give me some money and when you die I promise to pay your family ten dollars <laughs> Enough for a Coke. Well, that's Hopefully. a killer policy. It is killer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that so, to the widow. I know, exactly. So so that's what whole life is. It's just insurance on your life and the risk sits with the company. So you can see that if you choose a bad company, not so good for your family. So choice of company becomes really important. Mm. So that's whole life. You have guaranteed whole life. You have which means there are certain guarantees. Um, which is the more typical whole life product. So right now the guarantee might be 5%. Um, So you put in $100, you're guaranteed you get 5% on the $100. And in life insurance, the important part is the cash value because the cash is what then supports the death benefit, which is usually a reinsurer who comes in and says, okay, when you die, your little $10 policy, you've been putting in dollars every year. So you have $4 in the policy. The death benefit's 10 then the insurance company has to cover $6, mm-hmm. right? So that's what insurance looks like. Um,
0: so they're not even covering it. They're just reinsuring it.
1: They're reinsuring it. And bundling it into the policy. And bundling it into the policy, right? So, <laughs> oh uh, so choice of company is really important. Is that company going to be around? You know, There have been some companies that have had a lot of trouble in the past. So um, mutual companies... Which is one of the things that you know our friends at IBC Global, you know, spend a lot of time focusing on are companies that are collectives. So it's owned by the policy owners. So there aren't shareholders. So you Mm. think about the economics.
0: It's much better. It's
1: much well. You know, some people will disagree with that. I personally think mutual companies are better. I think it's you know, makes more sense because I'm not having to cover shareholder demands Mm -hmm. for capital or Mm -hmm. dividends, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, a whole life policy. It's either, you know, a company, a contract, a company that is going to pay, you know, the death benefit owned by shareholders, or it's a mutual company that's owned by the policyholders. So two different kind of, those are gross generalizations, but two different types of whole life.
0: Okay. And so what is the best possible arrangement then? You want high cash value. so you want whole life.
1: So it depends. You know, if I am just wanting to cover an obligation at my death, I just want to make sure that if I die, my family can pay for the funeral, you know, can pay off my mortgage and put my kids through school. Um, if I don't make a lot of money, a term policy might make sense, mm. right? So term just means that I'm going to pay you money and and usually it's level term for some period of time mm-hmm. 10 20 30 years and um and then you know my outlay lay will likely not be very much because those term policies you know the companies are betting you're going to live beyond the term mm-hmm. when you get to an age where you know actuarially speaking you're you're probably not going to live beyond that age you know 95 yeah 110. Um, <laughs> what's the measure of life in the Bible? 120. Anyway, um, so once you get older, those term contracts become too expensive. But when you're young, that's a great thing to do. You know, when I was young, I, every time I had a baby, I put a new term policy on my life to cover what I thought the cost would be if I died, you know, before they reached a certain age. So term products can be really important um, for that situation.
0: Okay, so there are, there are definitely instances where just a regular term life insurance policy is very helpful, especially with, if you're concerned about planning for the future and your family. But somewhere along the way, these turned into investment vehicles. and
1: Right, and let's talk about that. Why did they turn out to be investment vehicles? One of the reasons is, you know, some might argue it's the insurance lobby, I don't know. Maybe we've never heard you argue that before. I know exactly. <laughs> Who would think that a lobbying would be bad?
0: Nothing happens in D.C. Everyone, it's just—it's <laughs>
1: all smoke. It's all <laughs> just
0: all above board. It's all above board. Yeah.
1: Um, so, g- you know, life insurance became a tax shelter, and maybe on another one of our little videos, we'll talk about the history of of how that happened legislatively. But once inside buildup in life insurance, so income, capital gains, etc. was tax free. Hmm. Who knew? Now there's a market for those. Right? Because now all of a sudden it's a tax shelter. So that's when variable contracts became really attractive. Those mutual companies or the whole life, you weren't you were never gonna take money out. I mean now you can borrow money out of them and we'll talk about that. But back then it was just I pay money, the company manages it manages it, pays tax, et cetera, and then I get, it's just a contract. Mm -hmm. Once legislatively, income inside a policy wasn't taxable, now it became a great idea to use it as a financial product. So starting out, no one was really thinking that. It was just, you know, if it sounded very altruistic. You know, I'm gonna let you, Kevin, buy a policy on your life for your wife and children, and I'm going to let you pick mutual funds instead of having the insurance company, you know, make the additional profit. You get to make it, right? And there's no tax on it. That sounds really helpful, right? It's
0: always the save the babies bill.
1: It is save the babies, save the puppies, yeah. save the old lady, save that's the how babies. Until they do literally everything, <laughs>
0: the Patriot Act,
1: exactly. <laughs> so that's how it started, and it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. So you get to invest in an investment portfolio. You'd make the decisions. The gain isn't subject to tax, increases your cash value, reduces the cost of your insurance. Everyone's happy. And then all the other tax shelters that people knew about, because when I was growing up, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you had super high tax rates, but tons of tax shelters. Mm. So it didn't matter that the top rate was 90 because everyone hit all, their, everyone hit know, all yeah. of the, you know, tax shelters. Yeah. So once those started going away, life insurance became the tax shelter. And um, for the regulators out there, the people on the Senate Finance Committee, I'm not saying it's bad, <laughs> but what I am saying is that it's a legislatively sanctioned tax shelter.
0: And this puts this uh, as a quick aside on this: if you're a wealth advisor or if you're an attorney or something like that you have a fiduciary obligation to your clients yes so if congress creates this nice little loophole yeah for everybody if
1: you don't take advantage of you're, it
0: you're actually legally obligated yeah to yeah. at least suggest it to your client because it, it's turned into a financial product Absolutely. like you said it originally wasn't a financial product now it is you have at least an obligation to explain it to your client if they're interested in it and right. and set it up and it's like so it's this it's like it is a, a unique kind of weird tax shelter. Whether or not it should be is kind of up for debate. But at the same time, it exists. Right. And all the other ones got squashed. And so in, in some sense, you have a duty to at least tell your clients about it. So Absolutely. it's like if you want to get mad at somebody for a loophole, get mad at Congress.
1: Right. If Congress <laughs> wants to get rid of that loophole, yeah. if Congress wants to all of a sudden be altruistic and not self-interested, you know, yeah. Interested, yeah. then they can do that. But for now, it is what it is. And- um, is a terrific way for people to build value in their family in an income tax-efficient way. So if you think about... So anyway, go on. We'll, we'll ask more questions because oh, it's more yeah. interesting if you do uh, <laughs> than me rambling well, on. For,
0: <laughs> that leads me to my next question. Good. Thank you for that massive green flag <laughs> down the highway. Um, so they turned into investment vehicles um, at a certain point. And so what I want to know is... Why is the cash value so important?
1: So uh, in, a, in our future room, we're going to have a whiteboard. <laughs> but if everyone can imagine – let me have your pen. If everyone can imagine – everyone can imagine something that looks like this, right? An X and Y axis.
0: We'll yeah. do graphics later. We'll do graphics maybe. later.
1: Um, the, what drives cost in an insurance policy is the difference between – the amount of cash, which is an arc, right here, bloop bloop bloop, and 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 the death benefit that's either required by the policyholder or by statute, right? So that right here, this the difference between the cash and the death benefit is what we have to pay. That's the insurance component. That's what drives the cost of the insurance. So the higher the cash value. The less the insurance cost the premiums no just the cost of the insurance Mm -hmm. not the premiums premiums drive the cash coming in right so when you have the um you know the high delta between cash and death benefit that means that you have to buy a term policy to cover that cost and the older you get the more costly that is so the higher the cash value the lower the amount of reinsurance that's required, and the lower the cost in the policy. Mm. Okay, So that's why the cash value is so important. Most retail products, people want to put in as little as possible and have the highest death benefit as possible. So that's why you end up with these policies that are good for 8, 9, 10 years, and you've underfunded them. Right. Especially in a variable contract, because you may not be investing it while the market's gone down, et cetera. So your cash value drops to the point where now your term cost is so high that the policy is going to implode. You don't have enough cash to support that.
0: Mm. Bad product.
1: So the relationship between cash value and death benefit is is the key to the financial integrity of that product. Is that the spread? Well, I think you could kind of call it the spread. What is it that we typically call it? I'm just it's the end of my day today. Um, it's, uh, I mean, basically you could, you know, call it the spread. The, mm-hmm. um, it's the 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 delta, the difference between the cash value and the death benefit, the term cost of the product. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing that drives that too is commissions. So if you have a broker or someone who's selling the policy and they're taking out a lot on the front end, then that brings the cash value down, which m- makes the financials in the policy worse, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other challenge. A retail product, insurance brokers expect to receive anywhere from 5 6 to 10% of premiums. So that's a, that's a big slug out. Mm-hmm. If all you're buying is death benefit, it's probably fine because you don't care you don't really care yeah. but if what you're doing is buying a high cash value product and you're using it as an investment vehicle you 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 very much care
0: hmm so let's talk about that for a second though because I think this is something that concept that people don't understand the reason it's an investment vehicle for the insured or the owner of the policy mm-hmm. is because they can borrow against the cash value of the policy and when you borrow against the cash value of the policy you don't have to pay taxes on it. Exactly. So not only are you getting tax-free income inside Correct. of the policy, you're getting tax-free loan because it's technically a loan. It's not actually um, income, earned income. Right. You get that tax-free as well. That's right. So the idea is you. That's how it's a. Ta- <clears throat> that's how it's a tax shelter. Is you can shelter it on its growth, and then you can shelter it when you pull it out and use it as a loan.
1: Exactly. Now the the you know the design of those products. Is important because what you really want is a, a, a product where the spread the difference between the crediting and debiting on a loan in the policy because when you think about it I borrow I've cash in my policy I borrow money out right the policy has as an asset the loan mm-hmm. and I have a liability mm-hmm. right so when we talk about the spread it's a difference between the crediting rate and the debiting rate, mm-hmm. right? Some products actually mark that up, so the insurance company makes money on the loan. The, the ones that we like to work with don't. They just charge an m and which is basically an administrative charge, on the um, amount of the loan that's outstanding, which might produce a small amount of cost. It just means that even though there's kind of a nothing you know, I've borrowed. You know, I have it as an asset and liability. They'll charge maybe fifty basis points on the administration of the loan itself. Which, honestly, even though
0: they're not really doing anything with it,
1: well, a- but they they have to they have to amortize it. They have to book it. You know, I mean.
0: okay. But then, it, but it, the crazy part is, those the principal and the interest for the loan that you take out mm-hmm. in some products. And correct me if I'm wrong. You can not even pay those, and it gets taken out of the death benefit after you die.
1: Yes, that's typically right. Yeah. It just gets accumulated.
0: So I just want to like people to envision this really quickly. You have something growing. You have an account in your life insurance policy that's growing tax-free. Right. So it's in the S&P 500 or whatever, whatever kind of products you have. That's growing, and all the income is tax-free. You borrow against the cash value of the policy. That's tax-free because it's a loan. You don't pay principal or interest on the loan. You just take it against the death benefit after you die. So you never even touch it. It's just you're just taking it out.
1: Right, right. That's correct. But if think about the economics, I mean, in order to make that work truly, um, you want to you have to pay a lot of cash in first of all in the front end, <laughs> right. right? The next question is,
0: like, why is this legal? And also, like, who can afford this and who does this?
1: Well, I mean, when you build up cash, I mean, just do a quant model. Go Mm -hmm. go do a spreadsheet. Show, you know, if I have $100,000 and I'm generating a certain amount of capital gain, a certain amount of ordinary income, what's that tax going to be? If the cost in the policy is less than the tax, you're ahead straight away, Right. So now it's compounding income tax-free. I mean, just it's so easy to just look at how that works. So it's that income tax-free compounding that creates the rocket fuel in Mm -hmm. one of these products. And so then when you pull it out, um, it literally leaves the portfolio with some kind of crediting rate, which is the interest supposedly that you're paying. But it now – corridor, that's what it's called – Woo! Difference between the cash value and the death benefit. I was about to correct you on that. I Thank just, you. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah, The, the evening coffee hasn't kicked in. <laughs> it's the corridor. So, um, you know, it, the, the, the financial game is you want to have had enough buildup in the policy to support the death benefit. Now, remember, when we design these things, as opposed to a retail product, when we want as much death be- benefit as possible, we want as little death mm-hmm. benefit as possible because it's a financial product
0: you want to essentially have borrowed against as much as possible so that when it's a, almost a net zero when you die
1: maybe it depends I mean
0: it doesn't have to be but you know um, the point is not to cover your family in the event that you die it's now a financial product it's, it's not a financial life product. insurance
1: What's great about it is that it's asset protected in most jurisdictions because right. it's life insurance okay this right? is
0: this is the other part I wanted to talk to you about so this this is a contract. Mm-hmm. with a life insurance company, creditors can't touch that. Third-party creditors can't touch that.
1: In most states. In now, most Now, if states. you're in California, hmm, not so much, or New York. and But in those states, we can go offshore. So we can use offshore structures with policies uh, that are U.S. compliant. So there's a code section, 953D, um, where we elect, <laughs> we elect to tax it in the U.S., So um, it walks and talks from a tax standpoint like a U.S. product, but it's a foreign product. So in states where we don't have good statutory protection for cash value and death benefit, life insurance, we'll just go offshore. And there are good options to do that.
0: So for a trust that is sidest offshore, Mm -hmm. meaning the trustee is offshore, then you can purchase a life insurance policy offshore – Stick it in the trust, and would you like me to draw a picture? No. <laughs> okay. just – I realize. <laughs> you're handing it back over. Okay. I'm it yeah. back over to you. Um, and then if you're living in California, it doesn't matter if you're the beneficiary or the, uh, or the insured or whatever. If the policy belongs to an offshore trust, then a California court can't really get to it.
1: Right. So the idea is that if you don't have good state statutory protection, go offshore and avail yourself of – that statutory protection. But the policy still has to be U.S. compliant. So, and there are companies that write those kinds of policies. Mm-hmm. So so whenever, when we're designing it for clients, you know, you have a lot of things. First of all, what how comfortable are, is that client with risk? Mm-hmm. You know, is a whole life mutual product really what they should do? Or are they more comfortable with risk? And if so, is a variable product, a, you know, just a retail product? What they're looking for, because you still get asset protection, and you still have some cash value. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is, if you want to borrow out, most of those products are not designed to borrow out of very easily. Um, if you, so if if you're comfortable with risk and you're wanting to borrow out, then either domestic or foreign private placement variable contract is probably the thing you should be looking at. Mm-hmm. So it's. So, I was talking to a client today, and he was asking about that particular issue. And he's very, very, very entrepreneurial. So when I walked through the options, you could see—I mean, clearly, you know—straight away he's wanting, you know, offshore <laughs> <laughs> variable contracts, maximum, yeah. maximum benefit, maximum benefit, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. maximum benefit, exactly. Maximum. And the other thing that people want to know—turns out the
0: rich want to stay rich. Everybody, I hate to shock <laughs> you.
1: Yeah. Um, then we'll come back to how the not-so-rich can use it, too, but um, the, the thing that is important to note is underneath those products, those variable products, there are insurance-dedicated funds that are, you know, just off the chart. I mean, so many good funds. So it's not like you're giving up good investment options. By going into the insurance,
0: you're actually gaining some. You're gaining some, yeah. yeah.
1: And and now we've got some clarity on can we use separately managed accounts, and we can as long as they're done well. You know, we have to make sure that all of the diversification and investor control rules are, you know, complied with. Um, and you know, that's what we do with the insurance companies. And um, but the, you know, the the other thing you can do too is you can have an outside advisor, who Uh, gets paid a fee now not someone with a investment bank or broker dealer you know they have to be an independent RIA but they can advise and advise the owner of the policy whether it's a trust or an individual on the portfolio Mm -hmm. underneath the policy so you you're not losing your advisor either as long as they're at an independent RIA Mm -hmm. if you use one of these products Mm -hmm. so And, you know, now going back to what you said about, you know, this is really wealthy people staying wealthy, which is what, you know, the Senate Finance Committee is looking at. Shout out to Senate Finance. Yeah. We love you guys. (laughs) We're so glad you're there. Good research. So fair. Um, You know, even somebody who is, uh, you know, much more of a middle class, you know, us normal people, if you just... Put money into an income tax-free vehicle. You know, of course, we always tell people do your retirement plans, do four hundred one k's, IRAs. But if you fully, if you've maxed those out, then insurance is the next bucket you fill. Mm-hmm. And the death benefit, you know, here's the beauty of it. If I'm just an ordinary person, you and me, we're ordinary people, and we take ten thousand dollars a year of extra money, or twenty, let's say, we're really saving. We put it into that kind of product. With, an, or, with a reasonable death benefit. In an income tax-free environment, that's gonna compound mm-hmm. and give us the ability to borrow out and probably borrow out with a quarter that's still gonna produce the death benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I've socked away several hundred thousand dollars in my lifetime, the death benefit might be a million dollars. So I've put a couple hundred thousand in, grown income tax-free, I pull it back out to benefit my family, but I still get the million dollar death benefit. Mm -hmm. It's like a Mm win-win, right?
0: So even for people that aren't incredibly wealthy, you can still get a good product, you can still borrow against it, you can still take advantage of this. So it is not just an elite rich product. Although, like many things, you get a better product if you have a higher upfront, purchase more upfront, get a higher cash value, et cetera, et cetera. So, okay, so that brings me to some of the downsides. You mentioned one of them. If the corridor gets too small, I guess the term would be, there's a danger that you could... Too big. Ed- too big. You can endanger the death benefit. Right. So um, what what would be that scenario? What would happen in that scenario? So, so you borrow too much against the policy. You got too greedy. You took out too big of a loan. Now the death benefit is shrunk significantly. Or well, too much. the death...
1: You don't have... Let's say that your death benefit, you know, it's a hundred... You've been putting $100,000 a year for 10 years, it's a million dollars. Now you pull 800 out, you only have 200,000 in. The cost of your insurance, you know, let's say your death benefit was $5 million. The cost of your insurance went from something that was reasonable when your corridor was small to something that's not reasonable. It may go from, depending on your age, you know, $20,000 $20,000 a year to $60,000 a year if you're older. Okay. So at that drawdown over a couple of years, your cash value just, bloop, goes off the chart. Mm. And now it'll completely implode. Now, there are ways to deal with that. You can, um, you, know, you can drop the death benefit after year seven. I mean, different contracts have different design elements. But um, in planning for the contract, if we know someone's going to take a lot of cash value out... We might want an increasing death benefit for the first seven years to allow them to put more in if they want to. And after seven years, which is usually the year when you can drop the death benefit, if they pulled money out, we might drop the death benefit because we want the death benefit. If the corridor has gotten wide because cash is low, we want to drop the death benefit so it narrows the corridor again.
0: Okay. So basic concept is here is if you pull out too much of the cash policy, if you borrow too much, then... Your policy is going to get very expensive. Right. The monthly or yearly payments are going to be way too big, and then it's not going to be worth it anymore because you've just tanked the policy.
1: Now, but if you think about it, if you have an entrepreneur and we're worried during their money-making, you know, go out, develop crazy product, maybe make people mad, who knows what they're going to do, right? Um, And I'm not saying, you guys, that people should use this for something that's illegal. It's just... You know, there are a lot of people who will target, you know, people who are creating wealth. So if you think about it as a place to park it for a period of time, you know, for a time when they feel exposed, and we've done this for clients. You know, they've had a monetization event, sold a business. We've put a lot in high cash value policy, left it there for a number of years, and then they have a new business. We have a client like that right now. We took a million and a half out started a new business. The idea was we were going to pay the whole million and a half back once the business was successful. And in fact, at the exact year we thought the business would be successful and we were going to pay it back, it was. Mm. That million and a half turned into $100 right? But the client said, well, I don't know that I want that huge policy because based on the premiums that went in, it was $19 million of death benefit. So after year eight, the client said, I don't want to put that whole million and a half back, we reduce the death benefit down to nine million and then to five million. So now the quarter's really low, and the cost, and this is an older person, is about 50 or $60,000 a year. So we just make sure we put that in each year. And it makes it, every year is a new year. Do we want to keep it in place, mm. or do we not, mm-hmm. right? So...
0: So somebody's looking at, and the quarter, you mean, I assume that's a quarterly payment that you're making.
1: No, annual
0: annual okay so but the what you have to pay to keep the policy alive
1: right because because basically you're just now it's a term contract
0: right right okay so um, there is such a thing as a paid up policy right right you can pay everything in advance and
1: that's a whole life policy
0: it's a whole life policy so you're not paying any kind of periodic payment on on an insurance policy no interest no principal so. There's
1: there's a requirement. I mean, you know, you have to that. This is kind of a heavily income tax driven set of discussions. But um, so if, typically to be insurance, you're going to have to pay over a number of years, but you can get to the paid up period contractually with whole life where the, the, the company says, OK, as long as you pay whatever it is, $10,000 a year for 10 years, it's paid up. And we're going to guarantee that you're going to get this death benefit. Right. Usually that death benefit is pretty low in a paid up contract, um, but it's possible.
0: But it's possible. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is it possible to have a paid up policy with a cash value that you're borrowing against and you're not paying on the policy loan and you're not paying on the insurance premium? You're yes. paying nothing. You're yes. just taking the money out.
1: Because the financial product tax-free. completely different. So financial product just says every year or quarterly, depending on what the situation is. We are marking all of the assets to market to figure out what our value is. Then we're looking at the cost of the administration through the insurance company and the cost of the term policy product. And then we decide, do we pay more in or not? And absolutely. I mean, you can go, as long as you did a good job on the front end and your corridor is okay, and you don't mind paying the you know the cash value is not being depleted i mean think about it if if you're in a market where equity markets are generating 33 percent a year and you've you know you went in when equity markets were producing five percent a year then all of a sudden there's some kind of weird rocket fuel then yeah you can pull that out and never have to put anything back in so it's all i think what you're asking is most people think Oh, i have a life insurance contract i have to pay a premium and i pay it quarterly or annually or whatever which is true but these products don't require that because it's a financial question mm. so we manage it uh, we manage to the cost
0: i think people's hesitation with these products is they don't want to be permanently borrowing something yeah. people generally speaking operate under the assumption that debt is bad right and i think in most contexts in most all contexts it is but in this context, you're, you can have a risk-free debt right. in which you're just borrowing against your own policy. You're not paying the premiums. You're not paying the taxes on either the income or what you took out. Right. And so it's literally just a tax-free machine.
1: That's right. That's right. And it is a hard thing <laughs> Crazy. for people to wrap their mind around. You know? Yeah. And, and so talking to the investment advisor community you know if you think about it if i'm an independent ria and um you know i've got a part of the portfolio that i'm managing in a retirement account that's great because i can do it in a tax inefficient way it doesn't matter right um life insurance then becomes the other pot mm. you know when i'm the advisor and i'm thinking okay here's the retirement account but gosh it'd be so great this other 25 of the portfolio if i could be an, an inefficient type of investment program and not have it ding me, you mm. know, no flags on the play, <laughs> then it's great. And so that that's something that, you know, the challenge is that uh, a lot of advisors who aren't with independent RIAs, they're broker-dealers, this is not something that they'll allow them to manage. So...
0: So it's finding the right broker dealer. What What is the worst case scenario, though? If let's say the market tanks, the mm-hmm. year before you borrowed a huge amount against the policy, right? You're not too worried about it because you got a huge death benefit. You got high cash value. Um, There's wh- no what downside.
1: There? Think about it. I borrow a million dollars, right? So the policy has a million, mm-hmm. and I owe a million. If it implodes. Tick, they cash each other. They um, cancel each other out. <laughs> Trust <their> change. changer. Gone. <laughs> now, there is an income tax consequence to an implosion of a policy.
0: Would there be a forgiveness of debt? Thing? No, no.
1: But if there was, um, if if there was some income tax that hadn't been paid right in previous years, like so, when I pull it out in terms of a loan. When the policy expires, then there might be some taxable income. But in that scenario, probably not because you've had so much loss. Usually that only happens if, is if I decide to surrender a policy. I just have to remember that on policy surrender, then the income tax that I've deferred and haven't paid becomes taxable.
0: Which could be bad.
1: Which could be bad. So the way you avoid that is never surrender, never surrender, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Put your hands up.
0: I I'm I think that's what Winston Churchill meant, wasn't it? <laughs> I
1: think it
0: was. When he was talking to the British Congress, he was he meant life insurance policies. He did. Sure. He did when he said yeah. never ever surrender. Never ever surrender. Yeah. Your life insurance policy. <laughs>
1: exactly. Never ever ever surrender. So so what you do is you keep it open. You don't surrender it. You okay,
0: um, so let's just talk about the, the concept of surrender in general. So, it's not well, in the context of life insurance policies, but it just gets too expensive to maintain. Something happened, the market went down. Now you have to surrender the policy, which means I can't pay this anymore. Right. Right?
1: No, you don't. Because what you do is, um, you know, you rehab it. Whether you... Do a ten thirty-five exchange. <laughs>
0: okay, that's the solution, right? Yeah. So I'm saying that the, in general a surrender is if in case people don't know, is when you just gave up on the policy. Yeah. Okay, sorry. And that's, then that's right. and then all you you have to pay. You can
1: see that I'm I never <laughs> She's
0: she's always thinking in terms of solutions. I <laughs> can't even get her to talk about the scenario.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> It's not gonna happen. Never. It will never happen. You're like, you're like a boxer.
0: Every time we talk about if, if a boxer loses, and they're like, "It's not gonna happen." It's like, no, if it does, what's well, gonna? No, 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 it's not gonna happen.
1: So, but you're right. You're right. It okay, is a so, possibility.
0: Okay. And if that happens in in a financial product type of insurance contract, if that happens, then you have to pay all the income tax.
1: Right. Exactly. Which could be huge. Which could be, and it's it's one of the things that you know we have to plan for. Yeah. And so that's the worst case scenario. Okay. But it would never happen with us. But, <laughs> but
0: we never surrender. Never, ever. And so how do we rehab the policy?
1: So you could um, – and so when we negotiate these things, knowing that it's this kind of product, what we want to do is have an out, right? Either allow us to reduce the death benefit to get to a death benefit that we could support, um, <clears throat> pay in some additional premium if we want to keep it, Um if it's that kind of declining value policy, it probably doesn't have much income tax consequence, so we'd want to look at it. Or you can do a 1035 exchange. It's like a 1031, but you exchange the policy. The challenge is you can only do a 1035 if the insured is still insurable. So that's where it can be an issue. So, for instance, if your policy, the load or the you know the contract isn't something that <clears throat> allows you to rehab it, your only answer might be a ten thirty-five, and if your insured is not healthy, ninety-five, then. yeah, one hundred and twenty. Who's <laughs> one hundred and twenty? <laughs> it's not looking good. It's not. And they're looking not going to let you do a
0: ten thirty-five into a new <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like but trying
0: to do a ten thirty-one with a house that burned down. It's like, oh, you know.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I mean, you know, the I think the reason a lot of people don't go down the PPLI road. Is first of all, a lot of brokers don't like it because there's not an upfront commission, usually, right? This is like an institutional play. Mm-hmm. So what we want, we're okay with the broker getting some amount upfront, mm-hmm. but we want it, A, outside the policy, because mm-hmm. we don't want to reduce the cash value, and we want him to have a trail mm-hmm. because now it's a win-win, right? So-
0: The broker's winning because they're getting, and by a trail, you mean they're getting a, a residual? A re- percentage. residual, yeah. and
1: so the broker, will stay engaged Mm -hmm. to make sure that in that variable contract that there are good investments, that the investments are growing because they're getting a percentage of the growth, Mm -hmm. right? So to me, it's win-win. There are a lot of insurance people who have not necessarily liked my stance on private placement because those big upfront commissions historically were what they were used to. Now, over the years, a lot of brokers have realized and the market's changed. So, Mm -hmm you know, more and more people have kind of demanded that that, that change, so it's not as taboo a situation. But <laughs> this is not, you know, for a lot of people, they just want to buy it and walk away, right? Um, and that's fine, but that's not what this is. This is a managed This is an elite,
0: elite financial product. You exactly. can't buy this off the shelf. Right. You have to have the right broker, you have to have the right policy, and you have to have enough To finance it in order to make sense. Exactly. So the death benefit, like you were saying earlier, is like this big net. And you want to keep that much bigger than the risk of the policy imploding, etc. So you can take away from that.
1: Right. The cash value is bigger. The cash value. Right. Yeah. Because the thing that you don't realize, if I...
0: The cash value is bigger than the death benefit?
1: Well, cash value is the net, is the thing we want bigger. Right, right, right. The death benefit we want lower. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... The IRS has rules about what qualifies as insurance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, there has to be a certain corridor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So <clears throat> the problem is, um, for some people, if I want to put $5 million into one of these policies, the death benefit will probably be, depending on mm-hmm. my age, $20 million of death benefit. It's a lot, right? Or maybe more, $25 million. So there're just a couple of issues we have to explain to the insurance company why that person needs that amount of death benefit. So that's the you know, financial underwriting becomes a big deal. And then, you know, secondarily, um, that death benefit, the you know, if you do really well on your investing and your quarter gets too small, the IRS will go, "Mm, now it's a modified endowment contract, <laughs> and taxable." <laughs> you know. Um, and that's where you get a flag. So what you want, what you have to have is either an increase in your death benefit and your policy design, right? Or you end up with something called a force out, where it forces the cash out mm. in order to avoid being a mech, a modified endowment contract. So for, for people who are really creative, like we love this stuff because it's so fun, right? It's like Sudoku. <laughs> um, but but for a lot of people, it can feel intimidating, and so what what I would encourage everyone to do though is just think about it as you know just a bigger crayon box when you're thinking about <laughs> insurance.
0: Such a friendly metaphor. It is. That's a nice metaphor. Yeah. I think what people are intimidated by the most is not not understanding what risk they're taking.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Which yeah. is. As you can tell from this podcast, it's a difficult thing to explain. There's a lot of different financial concepts moving around. And so I think that people, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs and company owners and people like that are thinking, if I don't understand this very well, right, then I don't want to invest in something I don't understand the risk very well.
1: Right, yeah, I think I think that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, whereas if you're a sophisticated investor, if you know what you're doing, if you understand the concept well, maybe you sell these things anyways, um, this is a very, very, very valuable asset for you because it's asset protected, it's tax-free, right, and it's potentially an all-weather portfolio.
1: Right, and not to use a buzzword, and but... Um, Go ahead. I'll use a buzzword. Thank you giving you permission. For people who are interested in infinite banking, right? Right. So infinite banking is usually tied to whole-life policies because the idea is it's infinite in that it goes generation to generation which helps but in the infinite banking world you would really need to layer types of products because if you're really doing infinite banking and banking for yourself which is what that concept is really about then you would have whole life you might have some retail products depending on your you know, net worth and then really you might add a private placement product as well so you would want a basket of uh, you know a vehicles to borrow from so that you're you know you're banking yourself and you're providing death benefit for the next generation to be their infinite banking so um, from you know that's probably my different take on infinite banking people who are really interested in that concept um, I I would advocate for d- different buckets of insurance not just one just whole life.
0: Mm-hmm. Not just one policy or, or just one type of policy. <laughs> not
1: just one type of policy. Yeah. Right. Because you have a completely different. Um, you so know, you
0: still don't want all your eggs in one basket. Even right. If you're right. And and whole
1: banking. life is amazing. And those guarantees are absolutely foundational. But if I try and borrow out of it, I'm borrowing at 5% and I'm getting a credit at 5% and the argument is, well, you're not losing anything. That's true and that's really helpful. But if I'm trying to actually add rocket fuel into my financial product, I want to borrow for zero mm-hmm. cost and allow that to stay in the policy to grow. Mm. And you still get the arbitrage with whole life because you know it's been in an asset-protected vehicle, you borrow, and now there's no loss. You're paying interest to yourself or that's kind of how that's working. But I just think that if you are wanting to really down the infinite banking road you would have more than one type of insurance with more than one type of borrowing um demographic
0: Mm -hmm. and i think that typically if you're doing infinite banking you have multiple policies anyways that's generally the idea
1: yeah most people do right
0: all right um i'm sure we're going to talk about this more in the future because this is a very very complicated subject in terms of The financial product aspect of it and a lot but a lot of our clients are very interested in this stuff because it it's really an advantageous arrangement so i think that'll do it for now
1: great thanks for asking (laughs) this was fun
0: (laughs) all right everybody um we'll see you on the next one